You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jay. You ever think of preaching together, like tag-teaming it one Sunday? That might be kind of fun. Get Sean up here, get everybody up here. Uh, Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and if I haven't met you, I'm one of our pastors and elders here at Grace, and um, if I have, hello. Good to see you guys. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, The kids came in. We didn't have a whole lot of kids. It was a little anticlimactic, I mean, I'm going to say, but uh, they were were fired up, the ones that were here. We've been, uh, the church has been celebrating this week before Easter as Palm Sunday for centuries now. And some of you, I know, prefer the triumphal entry, or I've entitled this sermon, The Arrival of the King. I specifically didn't say the return of the king, because I knew that we'd get some of you Lord of the Rings people fired up, and we don't need that. Everybody just calm down. But, um, <clears throat> but Jesus is the rightful king, and today in Luke 19, we're going to see him returning to Jerusalem as, as king. And so um, what I want us to do together is we're just going to look at that. And this is very familiar. We, we've read this. We read this every year. Okay. Every year we come back to this text, but it's important to again, see how are the people going to respond to this king? What, what, what will they say to this moment that all of history has been leading up towards the arrival of the king? How will they respond to God's king who's come to bring peace? How, how will you respond? So I want to pray, and then we're just going to go for it, okay? So let me, let me pray again. Father, we need you to show up, Lord. If you're not here, we're just we're throwing words around. Lord, we need your spirit to understand what, what you're doing in our midst, what you were doing back then, and what you're still doing today and in the future. And so we invite you to come and to open the eyes of our hearts. And I don't want, it almost sounds cliche, but Lord, that's what we need. We need our hearts deeply to see what you're doing. And so do that today. We invite you. Father, forgive our sin. Again, cleanse us. Give us eyes to see the beautiful things in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, context is always important. I know I hammer this every time I preach, but if you're going to build a restaurant, it's always location, 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 right? When it's Bible, it's context, context, context. You have to have the context of what's going on if you're really going to understand the story. So Luke 19, a week prior to this, they're throwing this great celebration for Jesus um, as Jesus, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, right? And so people are going crazy. They they just can't believe that Lazarus is alive. And so there's this big feast. And and you remember the scene, Mary's there and she she pours the oil all over, or the expensive perfume all over Jesus's feet and and worship him. And of course, Judas Iscariot's triggered. And he's like, hey, that's a year's worth of wages. And remember what Jesus says to her? He's like, or says to Judas, he's like, hey, leave her alone. She did that. She's doing this for my burial. It's a powerful scene and and outside crowds are gathering because they know that Jesus is there. And, and, and the, the text tells us they, they didn't just come to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus as well. Some of them might have been at his funeral. They, they knew he was dead. They wanted to see this man once dead, now alive. And so the chief priests, they heard about this. They always hear about this stuff. Someone's always in their ear. You see what they're doing over there? And so they show up. And these are the ones that are planning to kill Jesus. 
And so they, they see what's going on and they see that people are coming to faith because of Lazarus, because of the evidence. So what do they say? Ah, oh, we need to kill Lazarus too. Because what do you do? What do you do when you're being exposed as a fraud? Well, you get rid of the evidence. Let's kill Lazarus. So sometimes when we, when we go into these gospel stories, we, we, we miss the context. Sometimes we have this really kind of uh, serene, picturesque backdrop of, 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 of pastoral villages and, and people bustling marketplaces and voices of kids just shouting and singing and laughter and, and Jesus just wandering through town, floating, you know, whatever. Uh, we have these weird images um, and there's Jesus, not a care in the world, just doing his thing, healing kids. And, but we need to remember the context, the larger context of Jesus' story. Because his story begins with genocide. I mean, you remember, you remember Herod. I mean, he, this was a massacre of innocence. Herod had attempted to murder Jesus by order, ordering the systematic execution of every little boy in and around Bethlehem. It's like the ethnic cleansing we saw in the 20th century, R Rwanda, Bosnia, Burma, atrocities, the ground soaked with blood of kids. So much was Jesus hunted from his birth. And had God not intervened by sending Joseph, sending an angel to Joseph, we wouldn't be here. The king wouldn't be arriving today. The family had to flee the country in the cover of darkness like fugitives. And what's interesting is I think about the, his, the beginning of his story. It's in, God's, the way God intervened was very intriguing because, I mean, God could have just taken Herod out, right? That's easy. He's God. He could have sent angels to protect the royal family, but he doesn't do that. Why did they have to run for their lives? The very fact that that went down like that, 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 should, that should make us think twice about how God goes about working out his plan in our world. He thinks very differently than we do. And so Jesus begins his life in hiding, and so begins this game of cat and mouse. And so now he's been wandering around Galilee, but he's on the outskirts. He's staying away from Judea because he knows they want to kill him. Uh, John 7, the, the, the Jews want to take his life. Matthew 12, the Pharisees are plotting to kill him. He was a hunted man, and he's operating behind enemy lines. And so when we open this story, when we see the king coming, we have to remember what's going on. He's headed toward Jerusalem. He's headed to resolutely toward the hottest spot in the battle, right? Like a general going in, he's going in. And remember Nicodemus comes up to him that I, I call him the honest Pharisee. He comes up and says, Hey, you got to get out of here, right? You, you, you can't stay here. You got to go. Herod wants to kill you. And remember what Jesus says to about Herod. He says, Hey, you tell that Fox that I am going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will, I will reach my goal. Jesus will not be messed with. Jesus will not be intimidated. He will not <clears throat> be deterred, excuse me. And this is the context of the story. Jesus is a man on a mission, and that mission is coming to a climax this week. Okay, Luke 19. This is where Luke's narrative, the gospel narrative, kind of catches up uh, to itself here in chapter 19. What I mean by this is that Luke has been talking about Jesus heading to Jerusalem since chapter 9, right? Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
And then in 13, uh, they went through the towns and villages as he made his way toward Jerusalem. There, there's a trajectory here all through Luke's gospel. Luke 17, now on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke 18, this is where Jesus takes the 12 aside and he gets really serious. He says, look, we're going up to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. They're, they're, they're going to flog me. But on the third day, the son of man will rise again. And so he's very clear about what's going on. And so everything in Luke's gospel from chapter nine on um, places Jesus under the looming shadow of the impending cross. He's heading for it. He knows he is. The disciples are still confused about it, but Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And today he's arrived. He's at Jerusalem and it's Passover week. And the people are euphoric. It's their high and holy holiday. The people from all over the region are descending upon Jerusalem to celebrate this, their great deliverance years ago from, from the bondage of Egypt, the slavery. And so every year the city just swells with people. It swells with anticipation as they celebrate this historic event. And every good and godly Jew was there with their families to celebrate. The, as the kids would say, the place was lit, right? I mean, it was going off. There was an excitement in the air. But remember, Rome was still in charge. And so um, the last thing Rome wanted was any kind of disturbance, right? Any kind of uh, upheaval, uprising, right? You guys have your little festival, but... Um, don't get too crazy. And all this talk, this buzz around the city about this Messiah coming. Hey, remember who we are. Look at the nations that tried to step up against Rome. They don't exist anymore. We are the power. The power belongs to us. And it's into this environment that Jesus' kingship is announced. But it's done in a way that nobody really expects. Not even his closest followers fully understand what's going on. What kind of kingdom Jesus is bringing about in the here and now. And so Luke's details all through his gospel reveal that not only is Jesus the true king of Israel and, and the king that nobody, nobody really expects, but he's the king that everybody needs. And so I'm going to give you my first, and if Brashear sees this, he's going to lose his mind. That's okay. I'm going to give you my first point before we ever hit the text, okay? Jesus is the two, true king of Israel. I have two points. Gary had 200 last week, I think. Um, <laughs> I have two points with space, so get creative. If God speaks to you, jot something down. Um, but Jesus is the true king of Israel. Let's read this together. Luke 19, in chapter, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he had just been teaching, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage at, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, sure enough, the owners showed up. And why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus. And they, they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. 
And so Jesus is standing at the Mount of Olives. And let me just drop one more aside before we get rolling here. All of the Gospels, when they, when they write their Gospels, a third, a third of the Gospels are focused on the last week of Jesus' life, which would be horrible if they were bi biographies. You don't do that. But they're testimonies. So, so it's, it's important for us to know they focus that much of their energy on this last week. And there's going to be times when we're watching Jesus where it looks like things are out of control. But, but don't you be mistaken. Jesus and his father have every last detail under control. They know exactly what's going to happen. They know exactly what's going on. So Jesus sends his disciples to get this colt. Now this seems weird to us, right? It's like he shows up to your house. Hey, I'm coming to get the Lexus. It's strange. Why would he send his disciples to get this colt, to seemingly steal this colt? Well, he's not stealing it. Because in this culture, if you were a king, you could commandeer whatever you needed for your needs at that time. And Jesus is the king. And so he tells his disciples to go. And as good disciples who don't fully understand what's happening, they obey their king. And they go. And sure enough, they find it just as he he told them, and, and then he, they're confronted, and what are you doing? Well, the Lord needs it. So they must have said, oh, okay, the Lord needs it. Go ahead. So next thing we, we know, he, he, they show up with this mule. Now, the other gospel writers tell us it's not just a colt. It's the full of a colt. It's like very little, very small. And, and it's never been ridden before, which is, which is significant. It, Back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21 and Numbers 19 talk about the sacredness of, of an animal that hasn't ever worn a, a come on, yoke, take my yoke. I'm, I'm thinking of Jesus. Yeah, it never, or whatever, it had never been ridden. There's a sacredness to that. And so this, this was fitting for a king to ride, if you will. Now, now, this wasn't the first time that a king has ridden on a mule, right? If you read your Old Testament, Jehu comes in on one, Solomon comes in on one. But the riding on the colt is symbolic because the, the mount that a conquering king would ride on de determined, um, well, it was a clear sign of the city's fate. You come in on a war horse, there's judgment. You come in on a mule, let alone the foal of a donkey. Right? It symbols, symbolizes peace. And Jesus has come in peace. Jesus isn't coming primarily for judgment at this time. Oh, he'll judge, and when he judges, he's, his judges are always accurate. But he's not coming primarily to judge, to bring judgment. He's coming to bear judgment. Imagine what, what the scene would have looked like. Jesus, is, he's a grown man. And he's riding on this little, small, unintimidating Full of a donkey. His feet are probably dragging on the ground. Probably got to hold his feet up. Why? Why would, why would our great king choose that? Why wouldn't he just grab like a stallion or something? I mean, he doesn't have to make, why well, you still come in peace on a stallion? Why not something great that, 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 that portrays the magnitude and the majesty of this king? It just seems all out of proportion. Why this little mule? He's the Lord of the donkeys. He's the Lord of the horses. He's the Lord of the, the, the entire world. Why does he choose to come like this? It just seems odd. And, and then his disciples, they, they throw their cloaks on, on this little mule. And they, they, Luke tells us, he's the only one that tells us, they actually put Jesus on that. It's like they're installing their king. 
They set him on this mule. And as the people laid their cloaks down on the road to take, um, and, and other gospels tell us they also, that's where the palm branches came in. Luke doesn't talk about it, but the other gospel writers say, yeah, there's palms and they're cutting these trees and they're, they're laying everything down on the road. Um, this is how they, they, they would greet a, a Roman king who, or a Roman warrior who'd just come back from battle bringing the spoils into town and, and there's laurels and wreaths and shouts of acclamation and praise and joy. This is a royal welcome. What's happening here? And Zechariah 9.9 explains exactly what's happening here. And Jesus knows this is why he's orchestrating it like this. Zechariah 9 says, excuse me, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. He's righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Zechariah, he writes 450, 500 years before this time. He's, we call him a post-exilic prophet, right? He writes after the exile. Israel is um, out of Babylon now, and they're looking ahead. And what are they looking for? They're looking for a king. They, they, they want a king. They, they want a return of a king like, like King David, who's going to bring back their former glory. But this king never comes. And in 516, they, they get the temple built. And 60 years later, under the, under the leadership of um, Nehemiah, Right, the walls are built, but no king ever shows up. And so the Persians had come and gone, the, the Babylonians had come and gone. In the fourth century, Alexander the Great introduced the dominion of Greece in the Hellenistic period and the Egyptian Ptolemaic period, and, and, and finally the Hasmoneans, and still there's no king in Jerusalem. There's no king. And here comes Jesus and he's riding on this colt and swirling around in the minds of these people are, are probably the prophecies of Zechariah 9. And, and if you read on in Zechariah chapter 14, it talks about this conquering king who comes in on a horse. He comes in from the Mount of Olives and in through the east gate of Jerusalem making war. And so all these images must be swirling around in their minds. And the, the city's teeming with people and the crowds are there and there's all kinds of expectation. What, what's this king gonna be? And as you read through the Gospels, you see different kinds of people in these crowds. And let's just explore a few. Who, who was there? And what were they looking for? Well, the Pharisees were there. They didn't want Jesus as their king. right? They, they, they wanted not only to return to the law of Moses, but they wanted to return to all the 600 uh, rules and laws that were added. They're, they wanted to return to religious tradition. And they wanted to maintain the authority. See, the crowds were pulling away from them. They didn't like that. The, the Sadducees were there. These, these are the aristocracy. These are the landowners, right? And they didn't want Jesus as king because they didn't want to be interrupted. Their lives were comfortable. They didn't want any, any problems with Rome. They were good. They had their deal with Rome. They could live their lives. They didn't want to be messed with. They were very comfortable. The Essenes were there. These were the super spiritual that actually left the area. They gave up on the world. And they're living out in communes by the Dead Sea. And I'm sure some of them were kind of sneaking, what's going on here? The zealots were there. Remember the zealots? These are people that thought the best way to deal with the current situation was through terrorism and violence and, and murder. And then the common people. Ordinary Joe, or ordinary Joseph. <laughs> Bartholomew, whatever. Uh, guys like you and me, right? They're, they're there. And, and they're looking to Jesus They've heard about him. 
Maybe they haven't been with him, but they've heard about him, so they go out to see, maybe what can Jesus do for me? Maybe I can get something from Jesus. I mean, these guys are getting food. These guys are getting born again, literally from the dead. Um, Maybe I can get something. So they're there. And then finally, these disciples that we read about that are singing Hosanna. They're, They're shouting out because of the miraculous things this king has been doing. And they've seen the love and the mercy and the compassion of the Lord. They've seen his power in action and they're excited. They're filled with anticipation, but they're also a bit confused. And they're looking at this Jesus, this Messiah figure who has come. They're all looking at him and he's claimed to be not only the son of David, but the son of God. And he's demonstrated his claim by, by raising people from the dead, performing miracles. He, he's, with a touch, he can heal the lame and the blind. Right? With a word, someone can be healed. Evil spirits are cast out, freeing people from lifelong bondage. Even the wind and waves obey this Jesus. I mean, he's the king. The voice from heaven, God the Father, this is my son, and I love him. Listen to him. And maybe, maybe the words of Psalm 2 are swimming around in their heads as well. Psalm 2, there's this great prophecy that, that says, I, I, I have installed my king on my holy mountain. And this is talking about this Messiah that's going to come and the Father, you are my son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Maybe that, they're fired up. They have all these things going on in their head that that God has spoken. But he doesn't look like a king. Sitting on the back of a foal of a donkey. I mean, what, what kind of king is he? Is he going to remove the imprint and the tyranny of Rome? Is he going to deal with the culture wars that have come into Jerusalem and the the, the politics, the economics, the moral values that were all being up for grabs at that point? Would would civility and order be returned by this king, this this Davidic king? I mean, think ahead, Revelation 19. This this is another picture of of the, the king that's going to come. I saw heaven open, John, he's sitting on the island of Patmos and he sees this vision and a white horse, there's, there's a rider who's called Faithful and True and he's on this white horse and he, he judges and wages war and, and there's this sword coming out of his mouth and, and he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. When I think of a king, I'm thinking someone who rules, someone who reigns, someone who's not intimidated. But Jesus doesn't look like that today. This is talking about Jesus one day he will return in this way, but, but not here. That's not what's happening in Jerusalem. Jesus is the true king of Israel, but what kind of king is he? Well, Jesus is the savior and deliverer of Israel, but not only Israel, of all the nations as well. Hosanna, they shout out. Hosanna. They're, they're crying out. Praise God. Praise the save us. It's, it's, it's Passover, and, and Psalm 113 to 118, we call the Hallel Psalms. And so at Passover, these psalms were sung, and that's what they were singing. These are the psalms that are going around in their heads, and they're singing these songs, and Jesus is coming in, and they're singing, blessed is he, Hosanna, save us. And as soon as they shout out Hosanna, which is not only a praise, but it's also a plea, it's a petition, The answer comes out of their mouth. Blessed be he, or as Luke says, blessed be the king who comes in the name 
of the Lord, and here he is, and he's coming, and the Old Testament has been talking about this king that would come and put all the wrongs to right, and he would be in the line of David, and, and Jesus is that king. And you continue reading this psalm. This is, this is the psalm that talks about the stone the builders rejected. It's become the chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is, this is the day, the very day the Lord has made. Okay, you know how in Sunday school we'd sing, this is the day, this, you guys, come on. Don't, don't leave me up here by myself. Okay, um, that's not heresy. I mean, this is the day the Lord has made, but this is the day. Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made, where his king returns. This is the day. And he will be the rejected stone. And it's marvelous how God's kingdom is coming about. The king is coming to rescue and deliver. Remember, it's Passover. What is Passover all about? It, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the annual festival of life and the emotional and psychological life of the Jew. It's all about deliverance, right? It's about being delivered from the oppressive power and bondage. And, and not, not, not so much Egypt now, but, but Rome. Right? Who's going to deliver us from the tyranny of Rome? And for many watching Jesus come down that hill, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking, here he comes, and he's on a foal of a donkey, and the people are throwing their, their, their branches out like he's a conquering king coming to his throne, and the Pharisees show up, and they try and shut him up. They try and shut the people up. Remember those snarky religious people? They're just like, hey, well, shut them up. You know, probably, it's too loud anyway. I mean, whatever. They have, they have all kinds of issues all the time with everything. But this is blasphemy. Shut them up in Jesus. <laughs> I love what he says. He says, listen. I mean, he doesn't say it, but here's the implication. If I did, this moment, there, it's such an injustice if you miss the moment of God introducing his king that even creation itself will start crying out. Just like the blood of Abel. Remember the blood of Abel, Genesis, it cries out to God. Whenever there's grave injustices in the scripture, uh, Zechariah uh, in the house, the, the beam and the stones are crying out the injustice. This is such an injustice to miss the king that, that the rocks, these inanimate objects, are going to cry out. This man will not be stopped. This mo moment will not be stopped. The whole purpose and focus of Jesus' life is coming to a head here. Man, it's a wild scene. And there's joy and there's anticipation and there's anger and there's rage. One theologian steps back from this and he says there's, there's these, it's like this perfect storm of three movements coming together. Yet you have Rome. For the last 30 to 40 years um, in this city, Rome has been increasing its power. It's not a, it's not a democratic republic. It's, a, it's an empire with a tyrant in charge. Julius Caesar claimed to be God himself, and he adopted a son, Tiberius Caesar. They call him Caesar Augustus. He's literally claiming to be the son of God. You see the irony there. All the power in Rome. And so there are those looking to Rome. There are Romans, they're looking to Rome for power. They're looking for, for Rome to, for deliverance. Their hope is in Rome. Their hope is in Caesar Augustus, the son of God. The political system, the worldly power. You see, this, this hope for deliverance, it's not just a Jewish hope. It's a human hope. All of us, of all time, looking to be delivered. We know things in this world aren't as they should be. 
every time you bury a loved one, every time you're betrayed by someone you thought you could trust, every time you're a victim of violence, or every time we're self-reflective enough to look inside and, and, and see the sin that indwells all of us, causing these evil desires sometimes that hurt ourselves and others. We all need a savior. We all need a deliverer. We all need a king. And so there's Rome and they're doing their thing. And then, then there's Israel, right? And, and, and it's Passover and they're looking for a deliverer. And they're looking for a deliverer from all kinds of things. But ultimately, they're looking for a deliverer from Rome. They want to get out from under the thumb. They want a king to bring back the good old days where, remember Solomon's days, the silver was as common as stones, right? They want the prosperity. They want the prestige. They want the power back. They want the shalom of God. And there's a lot of good desire in that. And Jesus is there. God's there. So you got Rome, Israel, the Lord. And what's he going to do? Well, he does something they didn't quite expect. He shows up in a way that just, he doesn't look like a king. I mean, what kind of king is this Jesus? Does he hold the universe in his hand? Yes, he does. Does he ensure that his sovereign will and purpose will be done? Yes, he does. does he, is he the deliverer who conquers and triumphs over darkness and evil forces? Yes, and many of those people standing there and shouting have seen him do it. Is he the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Yes, he is. Will the world, the cosmos one day, bow down and worship him? Yes, it will. There's coming a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming, that is who Jesus is, but he doesn't look like that today as he's coming into town. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Now, Jay's going to preach this next week, so Jay, calm down. He's going to get up out of his seat. I'm not going to steal your thunder. <laughs> yeah, easy. Um, but but remember, the, remember the, the despondent disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus, and remember what they said. And we had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. And we hoped he was going to be the one. We hoped he was going to be the, the, the king, but instead he's been arrested and tried and convicted and crucified and buried and he's dead. Man, what kind of king are you looking for? What kind of deliverer are you looking for this morning? We're all looking for someone. We're all looking for something to save and rescue to change our lives. To... So some of us are lamenting where we're at in our nation with the forces of politics and our own economics and culture wars where, where the Judeo-Christian value seems to be hitting the floor like lead. Right? And as a result, a very predictable result of our postmodern ideology. Right? We were talking about this in school 25 years ago. And now we're seeing it. Where, where get this, where, nothing is, where the phrase nothing is certain even the phrase isn't certain. Maybe. That's the culture we live in. Who's going to save us from that kind of culture where everything's fluff now? Who's going to rescue us? Is it, is it a political superstar? Is it a new administration, an emperor? A patriot? Who's going to save us from that? 
Who's going to deliver us? So what's going to deliver us? Our, our religion, tradition, rituals, your, your wealth, your status, your, your, your athletic ability, your intellectual prowess. I mean, everything's on the table. We look to all kinds of things. But what are you looking to? What kind of a king are you looking for? Only Jesus can, has, and will deliver not only his people, but all of us. But it's not fully realized now as it wasn't fully realized then. It was the beginning of his deliverance. In the unwavering purposes of God, there is coming a day when, when all things are going to be made new, when, when he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell and all sin, disease, and death will be gone and vanquished. It's done. And everybody universally will worship the Lord. That day is coming. But before any of that can be realized, thank you, sister, I see you. Before any of that can be realized, this king must die, first of all. And it just it wasn't in the thinking of most of these people that day. It wasn't the king they were looking for. It's not the king some of us are looking for. But in order for Jesus to bring about this deliverance, he must first satisfy the divine justice. And as the son of David and the son of God, he must die in the place of his people. He must die in our place and bear our sin and the wrath of God must come upon him as the sin bearer in order that we might be saved, rescued, and delivered because without the shedding of blood, scripture tells us, without the shedding of his blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And it's our sin, it's their sin that has separated us from God. And the life that he offers, Jesus is the savior and deliverer of all people. Again, I ask, what kind of king are you looking for? What kind of deliverer are you looking for today? Are you looking to something in this world that's passing away? And don't miss the king. Or are you seeing Jesus? And I know many of you are. I know you guys, I love you guys. We worship the king together this king that, that loves you and he gave himself for you and he died for you and was buried for you and he rose again for you that, so that being united to him by his grace through our faith, we can experience his kingly reign beginning right now within our hearts. And, and as we are transformed, then, then, then the kingdom of God begins to be manifest and realized in our homes and our schools and our workplace and everywhere we go. And we bring his values and his righteousness goes with us. And what kind of king are you looking for? Because the scripture tells us that the kind of king that Jesus is isn't often the kind of king we're looking for at first. But scripture says he's the king you need. He's the only king that can save Jesus didn't look like a king on Palm Sunday. He doesn't look like a king on the cross. But before any of this eternally hoped for peace could come and this righteousness that the, the king, the promised king would bring, Jesus, our king, had to humble himself. He's a humble king. His kingdom operates not like any other kingdom or superpower in this world. It's far more powerful. He had to empty himself by taking on the form of a servant. He's a servant king. He had to become obedient even 
to death, even the death of a cross, a death that would satisfy the divine justice and bring us peace with God to all those who bow the knee to this king. We become at peace with God. And by the grace of God, to as many as believe in the name of Jesus, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And he brings us to his father and he presents us as clean and holy. This is our king and Jesus is the only king that can do that. He's the only king that can give you what you truly desire and what you truly need. So won't we turn away from any impotent kings that can't deliver what they promise? The worship team's gonna come up here, but as we sing, I just want you to think about, man, what a great savior we have. What a great deliverer we have. And what a great king Jesus is. Father, give us, give us a moment here to let that sink in. We confess, Lord, that we don't always see you as king, but we're reminded again today that that is who you are. And you come in ways we would never expect, but it's exactly what we needed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.